Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 505th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who teaches about transitioning from factory farm foods to healthy organic. We're talking with Eugene Trufkin about changing to better diets. Eugene grew up on a biodynamic farm in the Ukraine and has dedicated his entire life to understanding mental and physical health. He currently operates Trifkin Athletics in Irvine, California, a fat loss training center that takes a holistic approach to fat loss and wellness. He's a graduate from the University of California, Irvine, and a Czech Institute trained professional. He also holds a degree from the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the show today, Eugene. Are you ready to rock? Thank you for the great introduction. (laughs) Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah. In terms of helping people transition from factory farm food to organic and hopefully one day biodynamic, the reason I got kind of interested in that subject is honestly for myself personally, because I found just sourcing high quality, like healthy food with a good nutritional profile and low toxicity, especially in the U.S., like a very, very confusing process. So obviously, like most people don't really care about how how they source their food in general, but for the people that even do care, it's still extremely complicated and hard to find high quality and actually like healthy food. So for example, just to kind of keep it simple, let's say a person decided to kind of get some advice from a nutritionist and the nutritionist would say, oh, like eat this and that and try to eat a little bit more chicken. And the average person would be like, okay, so I'm going to try to source I'm going to try to I'm going to try to eat a little bit more chicken to be healthy and the average person will go to the grocery store and like 9 out of 10 times most likely just buy like the cheapest chicken there. Yeah. So that chicken is typically kind of like it doesn't have a label or it typically says all natural on it or it says cage free. Those are typically like the lowest category like very stereotypical factory farmed options and uh-huh. they would buy that for health reasons but the issue with those with those food products is that the person let's say they do want to lose weight and they're buying that kind of chicken to lose weight is first 
the chickens in a factory farmed operation are not fed a species specific diet. So for instance, chickens are omnivores. They eat a bunch of insects, worms, they eat grass, a bunch of vegetation. They could be supplemented with grain and soy, but the problem the problem with factory farmed operations and the chicken you typically see at the supermarket is that they're fed predominantly nothing but corn and soy. Right. So the problem the problem with that is is that when they're not fed a species specific diet, once again they're not eating worms, they're not obviously like roaming outside, they're locked into a huge warehouse with about 30, 40, 50,000 chickens shoulder to shoulder with maybe one square foot of space per chicken, is that when they're fed nothing but grains, it shoots the omega-6 way up in the food group and kind of suppresses the omega-3. And the omega-6 is a micronutrient that's responsible if you have like a lot of it floating around in relation to omega-3 is responsible for a lot of inflammation in the body. Oh, wow. So that's not obviously like when you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to be healthier in general, you don't want chronic, a lot of exposure to inflammation in general. So so when a person eats that food group and they're obviously eating it three times a day or so, that's going to that's gonna obviously shoot up their omega-6 and shoot up the like inflammation in their body. And if a person looks up the inflammation theory of disease, you'll see that predominantly the majority of diseases arise just from low-level, low-grade, but chronic inflammation in the body. Right. And obviously there are a lot of different sources of inflammation you know, like chronic stress being one of the biggest ones, in my opinion. But the last thing you want is then to be eating food three or four times a day. That's also adding to that inflammation also. So what do we do in in order to combat the, you know, the factory farmed foods? It's like, you know, I, I can't even frame out the question correctly because this is such a large, large question. Where do we start? Yeah, exactly. That's a good question. And it's like extremely confusing these days. So right. kind of returning back, returning back to purchasing Let's just keep it to one topic and very simple. Returning back to purchasing like high quality chicken. So let's say the person is a little bit more consciously aware of food production practices in the U.S. And they know that cage free is kind of like a gimmicky phrase that basically indicates like a factory farmed operation. And so is like all natural or no label whatsoever. But let's say they're a little bit more consciously aware. They have like a nutritionist that tells them like, oh, make sure to buy free range chicken that's organic. So once again, nine out of 10 or 9.9 out of 10 of those people are are going to kind of go to the grocery store because most people still shop at the grocery store and buy and see that free range label and see organic on it as well and purchase that chicken. But the problem with that is at the supermarket level, predominantly free range operations are basically, you still have 30 to 40 plus thousand chickens in a single enclosed warehouse. And they typically have like a small little concrete patio where they get to roam outside. Oh my gosh. So once, yeah. So once again, the person is kind of thinking, okay, so free range in their mind's eye, they're kind of seeing like chickens roaming around outside because it's kind of like, that's what you typically associate with the phrase free range. But in this case, they're still kind of enclosed in a warehouse. They're not running around outside. And more importantly for your health, they're once again fed nothing but corn and soy. They're not fed a species specific diet. And it's evident because on the package, on the packaging, you'll see whenever you see free range chicken being sold at the supermarket below in the subtitles, you'll see vegetarian fed. And that's wow. a dead giveaway that it's an enclosed operation because chickens, once again, aren't vegetarians. They're omnivores. Like right. when was the last time you, when, yeah, exactly. When was the last time you gave like a bird a worm and it said like, ah, oh, no, thanks. I'm going to eat this grain instead. <laughs> exactly. You know, that, that like, that like never happens. So when you see vegetarian fed, that means fed corn and soy. And if you see organic, that means just fed organic 
corn and soy. And when you see free range, that just means once again, enclosed in like a huge warehouse with a small little patio where they get to roam around outside just a little bit. And a lot of people that are listening to, their podcast, to this podcast, they may be like, oh, he's exaggerating. But honestly, they can do their own research. Yeah. This is a well-known, well-known fact yep. that the predominantly the free range operations sold at supermarkets are basically factory farmed operations. Like the chickens get one to 1.5 square foot of space per, per hen. So that's like, that's not that much at all. So it's basically like a sheet of printing paper. They're shoulder to shoulder. So obviously you have a couple of issues. We talked about them not being fed a species specific diet, which kind of depresses the nutritional profile of the food group quite a bit. But also there's a lot of contamination issues. Each chicken kind of poops five to six pounds of poop every four weeks. And then multiply that by like 30, 40 or 50,000 chickens in a single enclosed warehouse that's not being rotated onto fresh pasture daily. And you get like a tremendous amount of fecal buildup in these operations. And that's why a lot of chicken at the supermarket, even when they're ready packaged, like 80 plus percent of chicken has like fecal matter on it. And a lot of times you'll see you'll see the labeling. It always says cooked to 350 degrees, cooked thoroughly. So this is just basically an indication that the industry knows that there's, there's a, a tremendous amount of yeah, they know there's a tremendous amount of fecal contamination and people can get sick. So instead of fixing the operation that's causing that problem, instead of fixing the root cause, because honestly they can't because they're too heavily invested in these like very exactly. expensive operations, they put the responsibility on the consumer. They're like, well, this is how it is, and it's your responsibility to cook this thoroughly. And if you get sick, it's your fault that you didn't cook it thoroughly. So what's our next step then? I, if I do want to eat chicken, I mostly don't eat chicken. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've gone mostly vegetarian in my life, but occasionally I eat chicken. If I do, what do I need to look out for so that I can find the healthiest, best thing for me? Yeah, that's a really good question because I don't want to be kind of like doom and gloom and just kind of like point out problems and not solutions. So the next, the next realistic step is to kind of look for basically pasture raised chicken. So this is, this is a little bit of a problem because you're not going to, for the most part, you're not going to find pasture raised chicken at the supermarket level. The best you're going to get is that kind of free range operation that we talked about earlier, right. which is once again, not, not fed a species specific diet allowed super limited outdoor access. Like from the few free range operations I visited, basically what you'll see is there are like 30,000 plus chickens inside and then like 50 chickens are roaming outside. Right. I've heard this before. It, that's a well-known fact. And for the, so for the most part, it's like, it's like a caged operation, you know, they're like inside basically like a huge cage, which is the warehouse because most of them don't even roam outside because either the openings are too small or they're just too afraid of what's going on outside. So they just kind of hang out inside. But the big thing I'm trying to stress is not so much the ethics of how they're raised, which is also like a very, very important topic, but kind of like another topic that what we're trying to cover is moreover, the nutritional profile is very poor because they're not fed a species-specific diet. Perfect. And then obviously the not, and yeah, and honestly, the non-organic operations are also administered, you know, like a tremendous amount of antibiotics as yeah. well. And yeah. that that is also like a huge topic uh, as well of people kind of creating that resistance to antibiotics. And the problem is, is like once those operations do it, like basically every single operation, even the organic operations are inflicted because they all process the meat in the same exact plants, uh, in the same exact slaughter facilities. So basically like an organic farmer would send most likely their chicken to the same slaughter facility as like a factory farm farmer. And the bacteria gets all over the equipment. I mean, they say they thoroughly clean it, but I, you know how the workforce is, you know, I highly doubt they ver- do their due diligence 
constantly on thoroughly clean, cleaning the equipment every single day. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So let, let me let me just jump back in here and say, all right, how do we find good healthy food then? Because that's really what we need to know. How do you know where's yeah. that transition happen, and what am I looking for? Yeah, exactly. So basically, they have to go to a local farmer. I remember Whole Foods, and this might be the case in some Whole Foods locations still, but in my area in Southern California, they used to sell like a pasture-raised chicken that you could order from the meat counter. So basically, you would go to the meat counter and you would tell them, like, I want this pasture-raised chicken, and then they'll deliver it. They'll basically call you in about like five to seven days and you come pick it up. Ah. So they had that option for a while, but they stopped doing that. I don't know if they stopped doing that in all their locations, but they stopped doing that in the Southern California locations. Yeah. So basically, now, like, I would say it's safe to say you can't actually buy pasture-raised chicken at the supermarket level that's fed a species-specific diet. So your only hope is basically a few sources. So one, because I don't know where the listener of this podcast is actually living, they can check out a website called eatwild.com. This website has an interactive mini-map that basically lets you click on your state and then it shows exact arrows of where people can find pasture-raised meat in their specific area that are fed a species-specific diet. And luckily, a lot of these companies, they do home delivery. Like around my area, for instance, they have this place called Primal Pastures, which sells pasture-raised chicken, pork, and beef. 100% raised on pasture. They don't use, they don't administer any kind of drugs or anything. And if they do supplemental supplement with feed, it's organic feed as well. And they deliver to your house. So you simply order it and they deliver it with like flash frozen meat. And the service has been really good. So a lot of companies are offering that as well. So it's not as cumbersome as some farmer's markets that only operate during very, very limited hours. Before yeah. we go past that, I'm on the website, eatwild.com. And yep. You know, I, I'm in Arizona, so I jumped in and popped in, you know, I clicked on the Arizona map and we have, you know, not a huge amount, but a dozen or so pins in the map in, you know, the Phoenix and Tucson area for, you know, for pastured products. This is cool. Yeah. And some, honestly, Southern California is vacant. I don't know what the deal is with that. There's like maybe like three or four operations. It's like almost non-existent, but some states are like full of pasture-raised operations. Like I think one time I checked Washington and just had like a, a bunch of bunch of pasture-raised operations or biodynamic farms. And it was really cool. So it's, it's more popular in some states than others, but I kind of clicked around in a bunch of states and pretty much every state had some kind of pasture-raised option like one can select from. Nice. And also, like, for instance, Primal Pastures, I think, delivers to, like, 10 states. So although they're not in the other states, you can contact them and they'll still deliver to you. That's most likely the case with the other with the other companies, too. Yeah. And again, the, the most important piece from a nutritional end is not necessarily you eating the chicken, but it starts with what the chicken ate. And you've used yeah, the, exactly. You've used the term species-specific diet. Say a little bit more about that, because this is something that people don't understand that in my my experience in the past 30 years of doing research in this, this is really, really important. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not enough to know that, for instance, like you're buying, let's go on to beef, for instance, like it's not enough to buy like organic beef. Because for instance, first of all, during during the like raising process of cattle, like most of the time they spend on pasture. So they spend probably like 90% of their life on pasture. But then the predominantly like 95% of them are sent to a feedlot operation like a couple of months before they're slaughtered and killed for their meat. To fatten them up. 
Yeah, exactly. So sometimes you'll see organic beef at the supermarket, but it doesn't it doesn't matter if it says organic in my opinion or not. The only thing that kind of like organic guarantees is that there are less trace amounts of biocides or various pesticides in the meat because they're using organic grains. But in this case, like a, a cow eats like nothing but it's supposed to eat like pretty much nothing but grass its entire life. So what happens when they send it to the feedlot, it's eating grass for 90% of its life. Every cow is. But then what happens when they send it to the feedlot like a few months before it's slaughtered is they're fed nothing pretty much but corn and soy. Again, not a species-specific diet. And when they're fed corn and soy, it shoots the omega-6 way up suppresses the omega-3, ruins the ratio, ruins the rest, like natural ratio of that omega-3 and that omega-6, which is going to be then a pro-inflammatory food. It's going to cause like a bunch of inflammation in your body, especially add that to like the average U.S. citizen, which is already chronically inflamed from, you know, like a stressful lifestyle, working a lot of hours, having like random things to attend to every day, constantly being on the go type of personality. This is also going to cause a lot of inflammation. So it's just like one thing adds on top of another. And you wonder why so many people, whenever you walk outside, it's kind of like are full of uh, like mental and physical pain, Yeah, you know, because they obviously have this hectic lifestyle. But then on top of that, they're getting a poor, poor diet, even when they're shopping at the supermarket. One of the things that has happened to me and my sweetheart, Heidi, in the past five years is we discovered that we were dealing with Lyme. And that's a long story. My listeners know about it. And in the process of learning about Lyme disease, I've learned about inflammation and you, you kind of alluded to this earlier in our conversation. And my experience of what I've learned is that inflammation is the, the root of most disease. Is that That's the case, right? Yes, exactly. And if a, the listener wants to know more, more about this topic, they can simply look up like inflammation theory of disease. And you're going to find like endless topics. They can go, if they want credible sources, they can go to a place called pubmed.gov and see like a bunch of studies there that kind of like will give them a lot more like scientific data on basically how inflammation, how chronic low great inflammation is destroying your body, you know, causing joint pain, causing depression, or adding to joint pain, adding to depression, and various other diseases, gut issues. That's very common these days as well. So with meats, we're looking for pasture raised, and it's most likely not available in the grocery stores. Yes, exactly. And to really quick touch on that subject, I know you asked me a few times about pasture raised operations. I think it's important for the listener to also understand that it's, it's great to go to a small farmer, but also know the right questions to ask that small farmer. Because a lot of times, in my opinion, I don't think just because they're a small farmer indicates that they're a good farmer, you know, just because you're self-employed, for instance, or not working for a corporation, it doesn't mean you're confident in what you do as well. Right. So for, for instance, for the, let's go to the beef topic. So a lot of times, like some farmers will say, oh, our beef is grass-fed. Well, first of all, all beef is grass-fed. Like I mentioned, like 90% of all beef is raised on pasture, eating grass for predominantly most of its life. And then the majority of them are sent to a feedlot where they're fed nothing but grain. So when they say it's grass-fed, they're not lying. It is grass-fed, but grain finished. And that last few months of kind of feeding that cattle grain, once again, like I mentioned, hinders the nutritional profile of the food group. Our focus was on omega-3 to omega-6, but there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of also decrease in, in the sense that there's less CLA and less vitamin and minerals, uh, quantities of vitamins and minerals in that food group as well. So one thing you'd want to ask the farmer, are your cows grass-fed and grass-finished? Or are they 100% grass-fed? Those are some indications of a better 
better operations. And then sometimes they'll say, yes, they're grass-fed and grass-finished. Then ask them, oh, during the finishing phase, do you bring bins with a bunch of grain and other stuff out to the pasture? Because sometimes they are still left in the pasture. But what some farmers do is bring uh, bins with a bunch of grain in there so the cows can kind of like eat that while eating the grass. But what happens is basically the cows just hang around the, the bins then, you know? Yep. It's like kind of kids would rather eat candy than vegetables, for instance. So you would have to audit that and make sure, are they doing that? Because if they're doing that, then once again, it's going to hinder the nutritional profile of the food group. And then in my case, I was buying 100% grass-fed beef from like a higher-end small supermarket in my area for a very long time. And then one day I just decided to call the company and ask them about their practices. And they're like, yeah, we're 100% grass grass fed. But what we do is we send the cows to the feedlot the last few months and we feed them grass pellets. Ooh. You know what I mean? So there are like so many like caveats that you have to kind of know, <laughs> right. know to ask just to be able to, once again, my goal was to find a food group that can kind of like maximize the nutritional profile of that food group, for instance. And you can kind of see how confusing it was kind of to decipher through this maze of food. It's not a was, it's an is confusing. Yeah, exactly. And I was actually raised on a on a biodynamic farm in Ukraine. So I had a little bit more kind of like a background understanding of food production. So you can imagine someone and like 98% of people are so far detached from the farming lifestyle. For them, it's probably exponentially even more confusing. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm sitting over here thinking, oh, my gosh, uh, you know, where do we go with this? It's like, what choices do I make? You know, the good news for me and Heidi is that for the most part, we, we, just, we just don't eat meat. It's not something that's highly included in our, in our diet. But for those people that are, that are meat eaters, uh, you, you know, go, go visit that website we talked about earlier and make sure that you know your farmer. I think that's a big piece of it as well. Yeah, and that website, they do have a bunch of biodynamic farmers that raise crops as well. So it's not just for meat. They have like a whole bunch of a whole bunch of different categories. And regarding vegetables and fruit too, it's ultra it's ultra confusing these days also. Because like for instance, the only country in the world that allows hydroponics, vegetables and fruit to be certified or as organic is the US. And predominantly like most a lot of the tomatoes, a lot of the bell peppers, a lot of the blueberries sold as organic in supermarkets are not even grown in soil. They're and, just grown in hydroponics facilities, like these kind of laboratory-looking containers. And this is a problem because this is kind of like a deep topic. Of one person that can covers it covers it, in my opinion, like very well. Uh, he has like a bunch of content on YouTube. Is Dave Chapman from the Real Organic Project? In my opinion, it's a problem because the Earth has been around for 4.5 billion years of extremely, extremely complicated evolution that took the soil of forming different ways through billions and billions of years to be able to form what what we now know as like the vegetables or the fruits. So for kind of people to think they know all the complexity that goes into that and be able to replicate it, I just think it's too far-fetched. I'm not like anti-technology, but I think technology has its limits and it's important to understand when those limits are. And it's also like one person said it very well, a guy named Paul Check is every drug that has ended up killing someone was at one point scientifically proven to be completely safe and good for you. <laughs> right. So that's, yeah, that's important to take into consideration too. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of money that goes into a lot of these products and everything. And the research oftentimes is rushed just to get the product to the market. In my opinion, when it comes to your health, guilty until proven innocent is the best approach. 
Wow. Well, and I think that's the safest that's the safest approach because just a risk for you if you if you do if you do anything else outside of that. So this is one of the things that I'm really finding. You know, I've been looking at the whole food issue for over 40 years, and one of the this is one of the things I've been finding is is there it's a very slippery slope in our sad diet, the standard American diet, the sad diet, and the way we re- raise food in our country is problematic. And you've been outlining you know many of the ways that it's problematic here in the past 25 minutes or so. What do we do? Because this is this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up and keeps me crazy for decades. What do we do? Raise our own? Yeah, I mean, what you're doing with your channel and at home as well is a good step in the right direction. I don't think it's like a real realistic step for most people. I think for most people, the best they can do is there are still items like at certain supermarket chains that are actually good, but it's just like very limited. Yeah. And then another option is for people to go check out like eatwild.com, for instance, or cornucopia.com. I forgot. I have like a couple of other websites. I just forgot them off the top of my head, but I'll be able to send them to you a little bit later. Perfect for uh, our there, show notes There page. are still, yeah, there are still a bunch of resources a person can use, but honestly, it's looking, it's looking grim at the moment because um, people kind of like you are a very small minority that even kind of like care about their health. Just health isn't like a core priority in the Western world in general. It's changing fast though. Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, it is shifting back a little bit. People are seeing like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if I get all these promotions at work if I'm not on uh, if I'm unhealthy, yep. feeling kind of like not that great all day every day, and then being angry all the time because I'm overworked and short tempered and all that stuff. So I do kind of see it. You're right, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in in the next few decades. I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. Like right now, factory farming is still super dominant. There are basically like 10 to 15 companies that produce 90% of the food at a supermarket. So it kind of looks like you have a lot of companies to pick from, but really it's just the same, like 10 10 to 15 guys that are basically dictating the diet of an entire nation. Yeah. Well, and that's why I am so such a loud loud proponent of people growing their own. You know, I've actually, in the past, I've pasture-raised meat chickens here at the urban farm. I raised 25 of them over about a four-year period. And yeah, it's a process. And it made me a lot more conscious about chicken and where it came from. And you know, if I do buy it, I do find somebody local here in Phoenix. And there's a guy up in Cave Creek that has pasture raised chicken. And, you know, I go that route because it is so important. Yeah, that's good. That's good that you're going the extra mile. And we have to get everybody going the extra mile. You know, it's like, this is, this is the exact reason. Thank you for being here today, Eugene, by the way, this is the exact reason that I do this podcast is to get people thinking about what we're talking about. And one of the things that I'm going to throw out to you is, man, are you writing a book about this yet? You have so much good data in your brain. Yeah. Actually, I have recently published a book titled, just very to the point, because that's how I like it to be, is Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. So it basically oh. kind of outlines outlines step-by-step of what we talked about today. So we go over like chickens, turkey, uh, vegetables and fruit as well as supplements, water, all, wow. the, all the basic food groups that you need to basically, and then kind of like a very, very easy step-by-step process of how to actually source high-quality nutrients from any of those food groups. And then also it comes with a video series as well to make the learning process even even simpler. Awesome. Where do we get that at? Right now I'm selling it on Amazon and also my website, truckingathletics.com, and 
that's really that's really about it. So perfect. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. I guess one of my biggest failures is just not sticking to my core values a few years ago and kind of overworking myself with too much work. Mm -hmm. I always valued kind of like having enough time to read. Like I'm an avid reader, having enough time to sleep, get quality sleep, maybe even take a midday nap, like quick, like 20 minute midday nap. If you have, those are uh, so nice. If you're feeling a little tired. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very rejuvenating. Great way to stay looking young for a long time too. And stuff of that sort. But then I got caught up with working because I thought I saw everyone else doing it. So I thought that's something I needed to do. And I knew at the bottom of my heart that working crazy hours wasn't my thing and wasn't healthy, but I did it anyways. And because of that, I just kind of, you know, kind of burned myself out, developed some injuries through working out because I wasn't as thorough with my warm ups and everything because I was so rushed for time all the time. Had anxiety issues as well from just not having enough me time and spending enough time on myself and the things like I valued a lot. So I'd say that was that was my biggest mistake. Luckily, I caught it kind of early and was able to reverse it and just feeling a lot better these days. Yeah, and I have several friends. Uh, I'm going to actually put them more in the acquaintance category that have worked themselves literally to death. And, you know, there, there's one person I'm thinking about is, you know, they're, they've worked themselves practically to death and now they're trying to recover. And it's, you know, it's a long, hard recovery back. Yeah. And honestly, at the end of the day, I'm kind of in one way happy that I did it because a lot of people that come in for training are coming in in that state, like extremely worn out with various like mental and physical issues. And I could kind of relate more to that and then kind of give them more of an appropriate course of action that's realistic to implement and we get them moving in the right direction. So on the, on the one hand, it did suck, especially when you kind of develop like insomnia issues and they're not sleeping well. And then that kind of like exaggerates all the other symptoms. But on the other hand, I'm kind of happy I did it because I can kind of relate more to my customer base. So Yeah. And what do you consider your biggest success? Once again, going back to those core values, just kind of aligning my day-to-day existence with what's important to me personally, even if it's not important to anyone else. So. Right. So you sound fairly young and you sound like you, you know, the, the data that you've been sharing with us today, I've studied this stuff for a long time. So I know it's, you know, it's pretty right on. Given that, what drives you from, from a very early age, you've been doing this as, as early as 10. Honestly, I just, I just enjoyed the subject. I just enjoy reading, reading things on psychology, philosophy, exercise, nutrition. I like business books and marketing books as well. They're great. I just like to work out, live like a physically active kind of lifestyle, have my job that includes like dynamic movement throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I just hate sitting at a computer. (laughs) You and me too. Yeah. Yes. So I just, I just try to kind of live yeah, just, just my life in terms of like, yeah, like I mentioned before, just kind of aligning it with your core values. And I feel that core values, it's important to identify because they kind of like draw up a blueprint of who you are mm-hmm. and what you should be doing, you know? Amen to and that. Sometimes, yeah, and sometimes it's not socially acceptable. Like I only work like three and a half days a week and some people would look down on that. But that's just kind of how I feel great. And I feel my happiness went through the roof since I started doing that instead of working six days a week. And that's just how I'm going to keep doing it. Keep yeah. doing it, so. Good on you, man. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I really liked The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Wow, that's going way back. Yeah, that's very, very old. I just I, I just liked that book a lot. I felt like I read it at a very young age, and mm-hmm. I felt like it helped put things in perspective in terms of the structure 
the structure that you need to go about kind of like carrying out your core values. And he kind of touched a lot upon, upon identifying your core values as a foundation before you even pursue anything in life, because you don't want to be running really fast in the wrong direction in life, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. learning about product, learning about productivity before you learn about your core values in yourself might make you run really fast in the wrong direction. Wow. And then you might be like way more behind than usual. So I felt wow. like that book was really kind of like really, really good and came in at the right time in my life. So I love it when that happens. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Just to check out your podcast. My podcast? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. How about, do you got anything else? Honestly, just do what means something to you in your life and you'll be happy when you're doing that and you're going to make people around you happy as well. So Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Eugene. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Uh, I really appreciate it, honestly, being a guest. So yeah. It was a great, great opportunity to chat with you. Well, right back at you. I, I actually learned some things today, and I, that's one of the reasons I love doing podcasts. How can our listeners get a hold of you? I'm on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. My personal website is truckinathletics.com, and it's spelled T-R-U-F-K-I-N, and then athletics. And honestly, they can find all my contact information on there and links to all the social media stuff as well. Perfect. And this book that you've written, tell us about quickly about what the name of it is. And I'm sure it's available on your website and Amazon. Yeah, it's Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. And it's basically about the subject matter we covered today on your podcast. Perfect. How to source, how to find like the highest quality food with the lowest toxicity. So Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Trifkin. The Urban Farm podcast is brought to you by our amazing Urban Farm team, producer Janice Norton, editor Ken Kingsborough, associate Katie Fiore, and hosted by me, Farmer Greg. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, please rate and review and share it with your friends. You can also visit urbanfarmpodcast.org to find a full list of over 500 shows of the Urban Farm Podcast and our blog. Plus visit urbanfarm.org to find links to our webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, Hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago. Then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free 
to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.